0: Good morning. We're continuing our sermon series in Jonah, and our passage this morning is Jonah 3, 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I was born and raised in London, and I spent my summers as a child and a teenager in Hong Kong. And then when I was 21, I moved to New York City and I lived there for 10 years. The population of London is 8.1 million. The population of Hong Kong is 7.3 million. And the population of New York City is 8.6 million. So you could say that cities are a part of my DNA. I love cities. I love the energy, I love the buzz, I love the diversity, I love the innovation, and I love the entrepreneurial mindset. You've got the arts and culture, you've got the restaurant scene, and you've got the artisanal coffee shop. I love how the city offers opportunities and amenities and options like no other. And Time Out magazine this week featured a special Time Out Index 2019 asking over 5,000 people what they thought of our city. Is it full of drunks? Is it full of vegans? Or is it just damp? Or is it the greatest city on earth? You might like to know that London is actually only the number two city for diversity. The number one city is New York City. But it's actually the number three city in the world that people most want to visit after Tokyo and New York. The UN estimates that 55% of the world's population lives in an urban area. And actually by 2050, it's projected it's going to be 68%. It's undeniable that cities are significant. And I think they're significant because they're full of people. The city has a way of drawing talent. And I saw that firsthand as an immigration lawyer in New York City. It doesn't get better than practicing there as a lawyer. But I think the city also does something similar with our human brokenness The city is like a magnifying glass and it draws out both the best and the worst parts of humanity. What does Jonah teach us about how we can influence the city? God sends one person to Nineveh. Can one person really make a difference? How can we change the city? How can we change London in 2019? Well, I think it starts out with stepping out into the uncomfortable. Jonah steps out into the uncomfortable. He's the only prophet who receives his assignment twice. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah has been given a mission impossible in his mind, and he's definitely uncomfortable. He's so uncomfortable that the first time he gets his assignment, he runs away in completely the opposite direction. But this time, God tells Jonah again, go to the great city of Nineveh. And this time, Jonah obeys. Assyria was the greatest world power at that time. And it was actually one of the most cruelest and violent empires of ancient times, And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was an enemy of Israel, of God's people. So Jonah is literally being asked by God to go into enemy territory. He's completely uncomfortable. Nineveh had a population of 120,000 people. The average population at that time was around 3,000 people. So it's a pretty significant city in terms of population size. But actually, the Bible says that it was a very large city and it took three days to walk through. So it was significant in terms of size. And actually, if you look further in the passage, it talks about these animals and herds and flock. And at that time, animals represented wealth. So Nineveh was significant in terms of size, in terms of population, and in terms of its economy. It was a great city. But Nineveh must have been a city which was important to God. Otherwise, why else would God tell Jonah to go there? Jonah is a Hebrew prophet called by God to leave Israel and go to a Gentile non-Jewish city. And this is a really big deal, because up until then, prophets in the Old Testament had only gone to the people of God, to Israel. Jonah's mission was unprecedented. And though God told Jonah to proclaim against the city for its wickedness, there would have been no reason to send a warning unless there was a chance that judgment could be averted. God doesn't give up on the city. He sends Jonah and he asks him to step out into the uncomfortable. And I think we all face choices every single day between doing something that's comfortable for us versus something that's quite uncomfortable but deep down is the right thing to do. It's the harder thing to do. After I lived in New York City for quite a few number of years, I was working as a lawyer in private practice And I thought about actually um, going in-house with a large technology firm I think at the time I was just looking for a better work-life balance and probably better benefits and so what these technology firms on the West Coast do is they they fly you out to the West Coast they put you up in a very nice hotel and they kind of cover all your meals and expenses and I remember showing up to the campus of this technology firm it was so big that you couldn't get from the HR office to the legal office without taking their internal taxi service. And if you want to go to have lunch, you take the taxi again to go to a different building because you can't actually walk to one place. And I remember showing up in the HR office, and it's um, this room full of chairs and beanbags. And all there were were, like, video game consoles and plasma screen TVs on the wall. And there's just, like, the best part is there's snacks. There are bowls of snacks, sweets, treats of every kind. Because these tech firms want to recruit all these young, hip tech whizzes. So there I am, and I show up in my suit, completely out of place. And I remember having these interviews from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So you have back-to-back interviews with senior lawyers. And then there was this one-hour written test where they put you in a room. You've got an hour. and they, They kind of give you five questions, and you've got to answer them so they can test the depth of your legal knowledge. And I remember getting back... To New York City after the whole day of interviews and um, I was actually thinking about what I was going to tell my boss when she asked me what I did over the weekend Um, but their recruiter called me on Monday morning and they wanted to make me an offer the offer was a six-figure salary a very generous sign-on bonus stock options pension plan private health insurance it was the best offer I'd ever received and although I knew that this role was going to make my life infinitely more comfortable, when I was thinking about, oh, should, should I go or should I stay? You know, six-figure salary or New York City? I thought about the reason why I decided to become a lawyer in the first place. And I don't think I decided to become a lawyer because I wanted to be comfortable. I think I decided to become a lawyer because... I often thought of my parents who immigrated to the UK in the 1970s and actually I wanted to be of service to people who were just like my parents. I now work for HTB, there's no six-figure salary, (laughs) you'll be glad to hear that, there's no sign-on bonus, there's no stock options, but I love my job, I love my job. If you want to influence the city, if you want to change the city, you've got to be open to being uncomfortable. Nothing is going to change in our city if we all strive to seek for our own comfort. God sends Jonah to Nineveh into the uncomfortable. God sends his son Jesus into our world, into the uncomfortable. Don't be surprised when God calls you to do something uncomfortable. Maybe you're in a season full of discomfort, and you're wondering, why is this happening to me? And maybe it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's quite possible you're doing something right. See, God calls us every day to step out in faith, into the uncomfortable. And the most reassuring thing is that he is right there with us on the other side as we step out of our comfort zones. So after we step out of our comfort zone, what's next? It's to have faith in what is possible. Every time I read this passage in Jonah, I get struck when I reach verse five, because it says, the Ninevites believed God. God is already at work in Nineveh before Jonah even gets there. Jonah literally says eight words. He has this eight-word sermon, and everyone responds 120,000 people turn to God. It's like every preacher's dream. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it's a reminder to us that actually it's the word of God that changes lives. God is capable of doing the impossible. God longs for people to turn to him. And that's what the word repent means. In Hebrew, the word shub, it means to turn. So against all of the odds on Jonah's mission impossible, the most powerful and violent city of the time puts on sackcloth, which is a sign of mass repentance from the greatest to the least, and they all turn to God. I remember a season in my life when I was living in New York City and I used to come to church on Sunday. Work was busy, life was busy, and I'd show up on Sunday and then I'd leave. And on appearances, my life felt pretty full. But actually behind closed doors, it was really empty. If I'm totally honest, God was just not very high on my priority list. He was an afterthought in my life. I just didn't have time, and I knew I was living for other things. And I remember the day I made partner for the firm that I worked for. My name had gone on the letterhead, the firm had made a formal announcement to clients, and they'd even give me a new business card, and I'd sent a copy of the card to my dad, and he used to carry my business card in his wallet. And I remember my boss and my cousin took me out to dinner that night, to celebrate the fact that I'd made partner. I think I was supposed to be sitting at dinner feeling that this was the greatest day of my life. But actually I sat there and I just felt so immeasurably empty. I thought about all the things I'd sacrificed. I think time with my family, friends I hadn't seen in years, a shallowness in my spiritual life and a real distance from God. And I just kept thinking to myself, is this all worth it is this all there is to life when the king of Nineveh hears Jonah's warning he gets up from his throne he takes off his royal robes he covers himself with sackcloth and he sits down in the dust this is the king the most powerful person in the most powerful city at the time even the king turns to God Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I think for a long time, particularly my years in New York, I knew who was sitting on the throne of my life. My life was all about me. I was calling all the shots. And I think sometimes God asks us, who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is it you or is it God? With every great revival comes repentance, people turning back to God, people humbling themselves and acknowledging their need for God and handing over control of their life to Jesus. The word overthrown in Jonah's eight-word sermon can be interpreted to mean destroy, But it can also mean to turn upside down. And that's what God has done. He's turned Nineveh upside down. Believe in what is possible. I'm not sure whether your life feels a little upside down. There's so much anxiety and uncertainty and insecurity in our nation. Everything feels upside down. But if we focus on the circumstances we'll get overwhelmed. If we listen to the sceptics, we'll become discouraged. But if we fix our eyes on God, on who he is, on his character, on his power, on his sovereignty, and on his plan, nothing is impossible. Have faith in what is possible. And lastly, if we're going to influence this city... We need to take heart in a grace that is unstoppable. The book of Jonah is a book about God's mercy and God's compassion. In verse 10, when God saw what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah is angry. In Jonah 4, it says that all of this seemed very wrong to Jonah he wants to see the Ninevites wiped out. Jonah loses sight of his own need for mercy and for God's grace. It outrages him that God doesn't destroy the Ninevites. Deep down, I think Jonah thinks that he's better than the Ninevites. He forgets his need for grace. Many people who have studied the book of Jonah have noticed the parallels between the book of Jonah and the story of the prodigal son told by Jesus in Luke 15. In the story, the father has two sons. The younger son runs away and makes all kinds of mistakes. But the older brother stays. He obeys all the rules, but he's completely legalistic. In the first half of the book of Jonah, Jonah is like the prodigal son. He runs away from God. But in the second half of the book, Jonah is like the older brother. He obeys the father, but's angry at him for his compassion on the Ninevites. And I think within each one of us resides the younger brother and the older brother. There have been times when I've been the prodigal and I've run away from God. And there are times when the other the elder brother will rear his ugly head in my heart. Both brothers need grace the father patiently waits and offers grace jonah says in jonah 4:2 to god i know that you are gracious and compassionate that you're very patient and you're abounding in steadfast love ultimately god sends us one greater than jonah he sends us his son jesus who stepped into our world into the uncomfortable. He believed in what was possible and he went to the cross and died and rose again because God's love and God's grace are unstoppable. Jesus is the only person who can really make a difference. Can one person make a difference? I was at our school of preaching day yesterday where we train up our emerging young preachers. And there were 30 people who told their testimony and their story. And I was struck because in so many of the stories, it was the one person who had made a difference, that had led them to faith. It was one person who had showed them love in a time of need. It was one person who was just present in a time of disaster. It was one person who shared the gospel with them and they came to faith. The challenge for us today as followers of Jesus is not to use the city, but to be of use to the city. We shouldn't romanticize or idolize the city, or to be indifferent to the needs of the city, but it's our mission to love and serve the city. How can we influence the city? It's to speak the name of Jesus over our city. No other name, not your name, not my name, but it's the name of Jesus. We need to speak powerfully of God's love for this city. God has given us a voice. He's put us in places where we can influence the people around us, in your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your community, at the gym, in the pub. You are an ambassador of Christ. You're an ambassador of Christ. I used to spend a lot of time working for the U.S. Embassy and the U.S. consulates all around the world. And one of the places where I worked particularly close with was the U.S. Embassy in London. The U.S. ambassador is always a very important person. An ambassador is a high-ranking diplomat who represents their state, their country and their government. If you belong to God, you are his ambassador. You represent Jesus in this city. There are people in your life that only you can reach. There are people in your life that only you can love and serve. Jonah made a difference. He was one person and there were 120,000 people. One person can make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.